0: Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke, and I get to serve as one of the ministers here. Um, Several years ago, there was a commuter flight from Portland, Maine to Boston, and it was just a short flight, but it was an eventful flight. The pilot's name was Henry Dempsey, and he took off, and everything was going well, when all of a sudden, the pilot heard this noise coming from the back of the aircraft, so he turned the controls over to his co-pilot, and he went back to check things out, and as he's walking down the aisle of the airplane, they hit an air pocket, and Henry Dempsey was thrown against the back door of the plane. Now the back door of the plane had not been properly latched. That was the source of the noise. And so he hit that door, the door flies open and Henry Dempsey gets sucked out of the jet aircraft. Well, the co-pilot immediately uh, finds out what's happened. He radios the tower, says, hey, we need an emergency landing. We need helicopters to come out here and search this area of the ocean. And they land the plane, and they did not find Henry Dempsey in the ocean. They found him still on the plane, holding on to the outdoor ladder on the aircraft, like Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible style, except this actually happened, right? And he had somehow, when he got sucked out of the back door of that aircraft, managed to grab onto that ladder and hold on for 10 minutes, flying at 200 miles an hour, 4,000 feet of altitude, and then when the plane landed, somehow managed to keep himself from scraping against the runway. It took the airport personnel literally minutes to pry his fingers loose from that ladder. We can understand that, can't we? Now, uh, today we are talking about divorce which is not on my list of favorite topics to preach on, for the record. And my guess is it's probably not on your list of favorite topics to hear somebody preach about. So we're on the same page here this morning. And so let me just tell you the reason why we're talking about that today. We're talking about that today because Jesus talks about it. And we have a commitment as a church to talk about the things that Jesus talks about. And today, in Mark chapter 10, our text for the day, Jesus talks about divorce. Now, uh, some of you probably just tuned me out right then. You think that does not apply to me, but my challenge for you is to come into this morning with open ears regardless of your state of life right now. If you are uh, either a young person or an old person or a middle person who is not married, maybe one day you will be. So listen to this as preparation. Or if you're here and your marriage is going pretty good, you think this doesn't apply to you, maybe God wants you to hear this today to equip you to walk with a friend who's going to go through this someday. And if you're here and your marriage blew up a long time ago. My intent for this morning is not to beat you over the head with the Bible, but to give you God's vision for your life and to shower you with how good and how gracious our God is. Now, um, one of the great honors that I get as a pastor is I get to hear a lot of people's stories, and I get to talk with a lot of couples who will come in, and they'll want to talk through something, and I get to hear their stories, and that is a great privilege that I don't take for granted. And, of course, I don't know all of you super-duper well. I do know quite a few of you, but uh, sometimes a couple will come. In and to just be completely honest, one of the first things I'll do is I'll just do a little snooping on social media right before they come in, just kind of see what I can see, you know. And and I'll tell you, it's amazing and it's heartbreaking that one minute I can be looking and there's a profile picture of a smiling, happy couple and they just put up pics from their last trip to Disney. And then five minutes later, they're sitting there in front of me in my office on opposite ends of the couch telling stories of bitterness and hurt and betrayal and disappointment. So if I could give you a gentle challenge this morning, it would be, can we just leave the smiley, happy social media selves out there and can we bring our real selves in here this morning? Because some of you today are walking in here and in your marriage, you're feeling a little bit like Henry Dempsey. And if you're honest, you're just barely hanging on and it's all you can do to not let go. And if that's you this morning, then I want you to know that God is for you, that God loves you, and that God sees you. And church, is there anything that our God cannot redeem? That's not a rhetorical question. (laughs) Is there anything that our God cannot redeem? (laughs) No. And as a church, we say this all the time, that that we are not going to say everything happens for a reason because that makes God complicit in the evil of the world, but we are going to say that anything can be redeemed because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. So in light of that truth, we're going to walk into this text today, even if it's a little bit tough. And I want you to put on your steel-toed boots with me this morning, because Jesus is going to step on some toes. We're going to kick it off here in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 2. Here's what happens. It says, some Pharisees came and tested him, that's Jesus, by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So these Pharisees come, and their idea is they're going to trap Jesus with a Bible quiz. <laughs> um, note to self, not a great idea. He wrote it, okay? You will lose, okay? So they ask Jesus' this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? The text goes on and says this. It says, well, what did Moses command you? Jesus replied. They said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her Away. So, what are they talking about here? Moses, all this. Well, they're referring back to a section of the Old Testament law that God gave to a guy named Moses to give to the people. And God had some regulations about marriage there. And the specific text they're talking about is Deuteronomy chapter 24, when Moses says this. He says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, remember that phrase, something indecent. That's the motive for the divorce. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house. Or if he dies... Then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she's been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Now, there's a lot going on there, and that was a hotly debated text in Jesus' day, and there's two main sides to this debate about why can a person get divorced? What is this something indecent that Moses was talking about? And on the one side of the debate, you had Rabbi Shammai, and Rabbi Shammai said that that something indecent phrase only referred to adultery, sexual unfaithfulness in a marriage. That's why you are allowed to get a divorce. Now, on the other hand, there was this guy named Rabbi Hillel and all his school of followers that said that, no, that phrase, something indecent, is a whole lot broader than just adultery. In fact, Rabbi Hillel said these are actual examples that he gives, that if your wife annoys you, don't laugh at that, gentlemen. How dare you If she embarrasses you, if she becomes less attractive, if she burns your dinner, he literally says that, then that is something indecent. You can ditch her and you can get yourself a new one. Just calling a spade a spade. Needless to say, most men sided over here with Rabbi Hillel. It just was what it was. His was the popular prevailing opinion of the day. And so the Pharisees say, well, what about you, Jesus? What do you say? And here's what Jesus says in verse five about this debate. He says, actually, it was because your hearts were hard... That Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. What he's saying is divorce was not a command, it's a concession. Divorce is not God's ideal, but he knows that in a sinful world where you and I have hard hearts, sometimes relationships just fall apart. So if that's going to happen, God wants to put some guidelines on how that happens to protect people. But Jesus says, here was God's ideal from the very beginning, God's desire for your marriage. Jesus says, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus continues. He says, Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. There's a lot going on there. So as we dive into this today, talking about marriage and divorce, I wanna frame our discussion by answering five simple questions, if that's okay. Five questions we're gonna ask and answer together. And the first one is just really simple. What is marriage? And Jesus says that God says that marriage is two becoming one. That when you are joined together, husband and wife, in a lifetime commitment, then you become one, sexually, financially, spiritually, emotionally, familially, that we've talked about this before this year, that a covenant is this lifetime commitment, this promise that no matter what, come hell or high water, till death do us part, we are bound together. Now that's pretty different than Rabbi Hillel, right, who says you can ditch her if she burns the soup if you find something better. I, uh, I heard a preacher talk about how in Jesus' day, a lot like in our day, a lot of people treat marriage like it's a consumer relationship. Now, consumer relationships are not bad. I have a consumer relationship with my grocery store. Uh, if I need something really quick, I'm gonna go to Meijer, because it's closest. And if I want more options, I'm gonna go to Walmart, because it's huge. And if I'm looking to save money, I'm gonna go to Aldi because it's cheap and because the chocolates at Aldi are the best kept secret in Plainfield. If you know, you know, right? And if my lovely wife, Rebecca, is with me, where do you think we're gonna go? We're gonna go to Target, right? Because they have so many more wonderful and stylish ways to blow all of your money and all God's people said. Yeah, that's right. It's a consumer relationship and that's okay, but I don't have that kind of relationship with my kids. I'm not gonna go home this afternoon and say, Judah, Calvin, Wesley, come here, sit down, boys, gather around in our little family circle. It's time for us to have a meeting. Gentlemen, this has been fun. While it lasted. <laughs> we had some good times together, didn't we? And and listen, it it's not you, it's me, I just don't know if I can do the potty training thing, this whole deal. I, I've been hanging out with the neighbor kids a lot more recently, and they just make me happier, and so I think this is time for it to, no, like that's wrong, right? Because parenting is not a consumer relationship, and Jesus says marriage, marriage isn't supposed to be a consumer relationship either, because it's two becoming one, and that's a big deal. Um, just to let you in on on where we stand as a church that's why we take marriage really really seriously around here that we get to perform weddings, and, and we won't marry just anybody. We will only marry a man to a woman as God's design, and we will only marry a follower of Jesus to another follower of Jesus as God's design, and we require everybody to walk through premarital counseling because we take this very, very seriously because Jesus says, hey, when you look back at that photo album and you look at the pictures of you walking down the aisle, remember, God was at your wedding That he was the one who was there supernaturally bringing the two of you and binding you together into one. And so Jesus says, in no uncertain terms what God has joined together, let no one separate, period, end of sentence. Now that begs question number two then, doesn't it? Is it ever okay to divorce? And I just want to tell you right off the bat where God stands on this. In Malachi chapter two, it says this. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. God hates divorce. Now, notice what the text did not say. The text does not say that God hates people who have been divorced. In fact, the beautiful truth of it is that God hates divorce because God loves you. God hates divorce because God loves you, and and we have to understand a little bit of how divorce worked back in Jesus' day. Divorce was primarily a male-initiated practice. The wife didn't have much say in how this went, and in ancient times, the wife was kind of just treated like property that could be bought or sold or traded when you found something better, and oftentimes, a wife who had been divorced by her husband would be left on her own, unable to provide for herself, and often relegated to poverty and even prostitution, and so God says, I hate divorce. And that's why when they ask him, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus and say, well, hey, which side are you on? Jesus doesn't split it right down the middle. Jesus actually picks a side because Jesus sides, I'm going to pick the side of the women here. I'm going to protect the weak. Jesus sides with Rabbi Shammai. He says, no, you, you can't divorce your wife just for any reason, he says, because, because if marriage really is the two becoming one, then divorce is like an amputation. Now listen, there are times when an amputation is necessary. And I'm not a doctor, but a good doctor will know when amputation is necessary as a last resort or when there's a better way to go about healing the wound. Can you imagine driving into the urgent care down there and and the doctor looking at you and saying, oh, you sprained your ankle playing pickleball? I think we're going to have to amputate. I'm so sorry. Oh, you want to get that tattoo removed? Oh, man, you pulled your hamstring? Bring me my saw. Let's just cut it off at the knees. No, 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 no. Sometimes amputation is necessary, but only when we've tried everything else. So back to our question. When is it biblically allowable to divorce? I know this is heavy, but bear with me. The Bible gives us three reasons, and they're the three A's. The first reason is adultery. Jesus says here in Mark chapter 10, and if you're looking for a fuller explanation from Jesus of the parallel text in Matthew chapter 19, that won't be on the screen, but Jesus explains that adultery is an allowable reason to divorce. That when one spouse steps outside of the covenant and is sexually unfaithful, then that shatters that covenant and divorce is allowable. The second reason is abandonment. Paul gives this reason in 1 Corinthians chapter seven. He says if if a spouse who follows Jesus is married to a spouse that doesn't follow Jesus and that unbelieving spouse abandons the believing spouse, then the believing spouse is allowed to divorce. And the third reason scripture gives is abuse. And this is grounded all the way back in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 21. And just to totally be really raw and let you in on my heart, I was really hesitant to even throw this one in there and tell it to you this morning. Because there are some of you who have been through really deep, dark, horrific, legitimately abuseful situations, and that breaks God's heart, and and it breaks ours. But also, we have seen this word abuse in this particular cultural moment be thrown around so liberally to apply to things it should never apply to, and I never want to give you justification to abandon your covenant prematurely. And yet God says these are three reasons that divorce is allowable. Adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Notice we said allowable and not necessary because there are marriages in this room that have walked through one or more of these horrific scenarios and you've come out on the other side and you've stuck with it and God has resurrected your relationship into something beautiful. And for that, we praise God. And that's why, man, if you are considering divorce today as a pastor who loves you, can I just beg you, please, please, please do not do it Alone. This is a heavy decision that will change the course of your family for generations, and and, and you need to get help along the way. And we would love to talk with you. There are some wonderful, amazing, professional Christian counselors in the area that we'd love to recommend to you. We would love to walk with you. Reach out to one of us on staff, get help, and please get help early. It breaks my heart that so many couples will come to us when the train is already so far down the tracks that there's no stopping it, when if they just would have let us know sooner, we could have helped everybody get back on the right track on time. And so that leads us then to question number three. What if I'm in a difficult marriage? What if you're here today and, yeah, it's it's hard right now three things for you. First one is what we just said. Get help. Get help early and get help often. Get help before you're in a crisis. You change the oil on your car because you don't want your motor to blow up. Change your oil on your marriage, too. And can I challenge the men in the room, husbands, can you guys take the lead on this? Can you step up and say, hey, listen, babe, I love you and I want to love you better. Let's go talk to somebody about this. Let's work on this thing together get help. And, and for some of you in the room who are in legitimately abusive situations, you need to get help too and there is help available for you. We support an amazing ministry here in Hendricks County that the dollars you give, some of them go to support sheltering wings here. They have a 24-7 helpline all hours of the day. The number is 317-745-1496. We also have information cards about sheltering wings in all of our restrooms. If you are in an abusive situation, get help and get help now. Here's the second thing if you're in a difficult marriage. Get help. And number two is honor God. And what I mean by that specifically is to honor God by being faithful to your covenant. Now I know that for some of you, that's rubbing you the wrong way even right now because you're thinking, Luke, are you seriously telling me that you want me to be miserable and God wants me to be miserable by sticking with a spouse who treats me like dirt? And, and no, God's will is not for you to be miserable, but God also knows that the path to true joy is never through changing your circumstances but it's always through changing your heart. You remember what Jesus said was at the root of this whole marriage and divorce problem in Matthew chapter 10, verse five. He said, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Every marriage problem is a hardness of heart problem that we need to repent of, all of us, no matter how good your marriage is today. That's why one of my mentors says that people don't fall out of love, he says, people fall out of repentance. It's a pretty good line. And listen, um, my wife's in the room right now. Like, I have an amazing wife and we have a wonderful marriage, but we have our days. Like, of course, I don't meet all of Rebecca's needs. And of course, we're incompatible. And of course, we have irreconcilable differences. And of course, she's not the same woman I married. I've been married to at least five different women. (laughs) And they're all named Rebecca Proctor, right? (laughs) Guys, do not say amen for, like, for the sake of, like, <laughs> quiet, gentlemen, quiet. That's why the key to any and every marriage is that you just got to keep letting God soften your heart, and you got to honor him by praying for your spouse and serving your spouse and forgiving your spouse as the Lord forgave you, even when they don't deserve it. Because there's a whole lot of days when I am unlovable, and yet Rebecca loves me anyway, not because Luke deserves it, but because Jesus deserves it. If you're in a difficult marriage, get help, honor God, and here's the third thing. Hang on, just hang on, just don't don't let go. I heard a story a while back about a couple that was getting divorced and the wife was talking to the lawyer and she said, hey listen, I wanna hurt him. And the attorney said, okay, well, if you really want to hurt him, then what you should do is not like fight tooth and nail and claw for every little scrap of the house and the car and all that because then he'll just be glad to see you go once this thing is done. If you really want to hurt him, he said, then you should be the best wife in the world for the next six months. I'm saying for six months, do everything you possibly can to love him. And then after six months, file, yank the rug right out from under him and it will send his world spinning. So the wife said, okay. Six months later, the attorney calls her and says, okay, you ready to file? And she said, what? No, we've fallen in love all over again. And, and there's, a, there's a principle there There was a a study done in India. You know, there's a lot of cultural dynamics there, and the study was between arranged marriages and non-arranged marriages. And you won't be surprised that the non-arranged marriages initially ranked higher than the arranged marriages in passion and love. That's understandable. You know the spouses were attracted to each other. They got to pick each other. But the amazing thing about this study was that when they gave that same study to those same couples 20 years later, it was the arranged marriages that ranked higher higher in passion and love than the non-arranged marriages because their relationships were grounded in commitment and not just desire. Man, there's something there. There's a study done here in the U.S. that showed that 80% of couples who rated their marriage as unhappy, if they stuck with that same marriage for five years, 80% of those marriages would rate those same marriages as happy just five years later. That means that 80% of unhappy marriages got better if they just stuck with it for five more years. Now listen, I'm not promising you your marriage is gonna get better. It probably will, it might, it can, but it might not. And I, in my story, some of the people who have loved me most deeply and showed me God's heart most clearly, some of the most influential people in my life have really, really, really hard marriages. They're just hard, and they've always been hard, and they're probably always gonna be hard, and yet they've said, you know what? We're gonna be faithful anyway because we made a covenant before God, and we're just gonna stick this thing out. And I'm thankful for that example on my hard days. And and listen, I know if you're in a hard marriage this morning, that's tough for you to hear, and that's tough for you to imagine, but if you can say, you know what? No, I'm gonna stick with this covenant then you're painting a picture for the world and you're painting a picture for your kids and you're painting a picture for your grandkids of the love of God himself because God's love is not a consumer love. God's love doesn't give up on us when we annoy him, when we betray him, when we disappoint him, when he finds somebody better and more pleasing than us. God's love is patient, it is steadfast, it is never ending, it is never giving up and when you hang on, even in a difficult marriage for the glory of God, that's the kind of picture that you paint for the world but let's address the elephant in the room. What if that ship has already sailed for you? Question number four, like what if it blew up a long time ago? If I've been divorced, should I get remarried? Now, um, the Bible says that if you're divorced, was biblically legitimate for one of those three reasons—abuse, adultery, or abandonment—then divorce is a legitimate option too. You're free to remarry. Paul says in First Corinthians chapter seven to that spouse who'd been abandoned by an unbelieving spouse. He says they're not bound in such circumstances; free to remarry. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, "Well, I'm already remarried. Like I'm on my second marriage. Maybe this is even my third try. And I'm looking back, and and I don't." think my marriage or my divorce was biblically justifiable, and I don't know that my remarriage was biblically justifiable. And maybe you're remembering back to what we read that Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. That sounds serious. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. That sounds serious. Am I committing adultery continually now that I have remarried? Now, listen. Listen. For some of you, maybe if your divorce was unbiblical and your remarriage, that's a sin that you need to repent of. And yet, Jesus is not saying here that you're living in continual adultery. He's saying that your second marriage has the same effect as adultery. It shattered your first covenant. And so some people will ask, well, then am I, am I supposed to like, divorce my remarriage and go back to my first marriage? And the answer is no. God, God has bound you two together in a new covenant that you need to be faithful to honor it. But for some of you in the room who've been through a divorce, and you're considering getting remarried, you can see that on the horizon somewhere in the future. Can I just give you two questions to think through along the way? Here's question number one. Have I done everything I can to allow God to heal my marriage? Because the best case scenario would be God resurrecting your first covenant, right? This is what Paul is hinting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. When he says a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried. Like give your first covenant a shot or else be reconciled to her husband and a husband must not divorce his wife. So have you given God the time and the space and the prayer to resurrect your relationship? Here's the second question I want you to think through. Have I done everything I can to allow God to heal me? Um, Because remember, Jesus said the number one problem with marriages is that you and I all have hearts that are naturally inclined to hardness. And if you jump too quickly into another relationship expecting that this person will fulfill me this time, it'll just be same song, second verse. Now, um, I've never seen the movie Jerry Maguire I never planned to see the movie Jerry Maguire, for the record. I'm happy to watch Tom Cruise blow stuff up in all 47 installments of Mission Impossible. But watching some teary-eyed rom-com is not a mission I choose to accept. Gentlemen, all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You're right. But you probably know the line from Jerry Maguire just like I do, right? Where teary-eyed Tom looks at Renee Zellweger, and what does he say? He says, you complete me, you know, and cue the tears and the whole nine yards. And yet... If there was a Jerry Maguire 2, which thank God there is not, but if there was, my guess is in Jerry Maguire 2, we would find out that actually he did not complete her and she did not complete him. Because no sinful human being can bear the existential weight of your soul. Only God can do that. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, yes, you can remarry, but you don't actually have to. Because Paul lived his whole life as a single man, and Jesus lived his whole life as a single man, as a testament to the fact that the love of God is the only love that can complete you, that can fulfill you, that can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And so my questions for you are, have you done everything you can to allow God to heal your first marriage, and have you done everything you can to allow God to heal you? Now, I know this has been heavy, so let's land here together at question number five. What does God think of me? Maybe that's what you're wondering this morning. And I had the privilege of talking with several people in our church who've been divorced in preparation for this sermon. And they described feeling what my guess is that some of you are feeling right now. Like, listen, preacher, I don't need you to tell me that I messed up. Like, I know I messed up. I'm standing here in the ruins of a life full of broken promises, and I don't need to be beat up about it. I never had this in mind when I walked down the aisle and I said, I do. And now I've got some serious questions about God and wondering where he was in all of this and wondering why it feels like my prayers weren't answered and wondering if he did this to me because now I just feel like a statistic and I have so much guilt and so much regret and so much shame. Like there's this big red D on my chest every time I walk around in church. And if you're feeling even a hint of that this morning, I want you to know that Jesus understands what you're feeling. You might remember that Jesus' parents almost got divorced. He understands the stigma. And I also want you to know that if the church has hurt you along the way, I'm sorry. And that our call as followers of Jesus is to step into those moments of pain and not away. So my goodness, if you've got a friend or a relative who's going through this, be there. If you've got kids in your life who are going through this, be there. The most amazing thought for me this week in preparing and praying for you, as I know this is a heavy truth, is that if I ask all of you in the room who've been divorced to stand up, everybody who's been divorced, go ahead and stand up for the whole world to see. You know who would stand with you? God himself. Jeremiah chapter three, verse eight says that God was divorced because his people were unfaithful to him. That means that God knows your pain. Remember, God hates divorce because God loves you. He loves you. There's a preacher down in Texas named Matt Chandler and he tells a story of a time where he met this lady named Kim, and uh, Kim and he became friends. Kim worked at a bar, and they were kind of students in college taking classes together, and Kim was not a church person. She had a little girl, but she wasn't married. Kim had just had a very rough life, but Matt and Kim became good friends, and Matt started to, to pray for Kim and to ask God for an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with her. And then they found out that one night there was this Christian concert coming into town where there was supposed to be a speaker there who was going to share the gospel, the good news, of Jesus. So Matt invited Kim to come along to the concert, and she did. And so they get to the concert, and the music plays for a little bit, and then the speaker takes the stage, you know, and he's getting ready to what Matt thought was share the good news of Jesus. But it was the mid-90s, and so the speaker gets up, and he starts talking about purity, which is good. But Matt says there, there was no Bible in it, that He just started sharing a lot of statistics and all these kind of scare tactics about sexually transmitted diseases, and and the whole thing had this basic tone of like, well, hey, you don't want syphilis, do you? And it's all fun and game, till you got herpes on your lip. And and Matt said, in the middle of this moralistic fear-mongering, the speaker pulls out a rose, and he holds it up, and he smells the rose all dramatically, and he caresses the rose and he talks on and on and on about how, how beautiful this rose is. And in fact, this, this rose is so beautiful that, that I want everybody to see it. I want everybody to have a chance to touch it and, and smell it and feel it. And so the, the speaker tosses the rose out into the crowd. And as the speaker goes on with his speech, they pass the rose around one by one by one, hundreds and hundreds of people in this room. And at the end of the message, the speaker asked for the rose back and somebody handed the flower to him and he held it up. And this flower that was once pristine was now drooping and faded and broken, and the petals were falling off. And the whole point of the message, Matt says, was don't be a dirty rose. The speaker held it up and he said, Who in the world would want this? Matt says he just got so mad because he thought of his friend Kim sitting right next to her and her life was messed up and this was her shot to hear about the grace of God and she just sat there silent, taking it all in. And today I want you to know that if you are here and you are feeling beat up and you're feeling broken down and like you know the hardness of your own heart and you know deep down inside just like I do that I'm a dirty rose, then the reason Matt was mad that night was because he knows the good news. Who in the world would want this? Jesus wants the rose. Jesus wants the rose and he has a beautiful plan for how to make us new again and how to take broken things and how to restore them no matter how dark your story is because he died and he rose again. So what does God think of me? What does God think of me? He loves you and here's how I know, even in a text like this where this is a hard teaching, here's how I know. Look what happens in the next few verses. 13 through 16, it says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He said, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and blessed them. Jesus says, bring the kids to me. He says to you, whatever it is, just, hey, come, come to me. And think about it, how, how does a child come to you? When I get home from work in the evenings and I open the door, you know what my kids don't do? They don't come all well-dressed with their clothes ironed and their faces washed. <laughs> Saying greetings, Father, salutations, we humbly request to approach you on this fine day. <laughs> No, they just run. And most of the time, they like lower the boom and they're ready for action, you know? And, and think, think about when a child is learning how to come. Like think about, think about your kids. Think about your grandkids as they're learning how to walk. What was that like? Because I I don't know what what yours were like, but our kids, when they were that little, they had these like gargantuan-sized heads, you know? And so the kid is there, and he's like, he's holding onto the couch for dear life, and as soon as that kid lets go of the the couch, that head just starts falling toward the floor, doesn't it? And that kid, all of a sudden, he has to make a choice. Like, am I going to let my forehead leave a crater in the living room floor, or am I going to take a step? And eventually the kid learns, oh, I I should take a step. And so it starts out like, step, fall, you know? Step, step, fall. Step, 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 fall. And as a parent, you know know what we never did? I never said, are you kidding me? This kid is defective. Like, two steps? The neighbor's dog can take two steps. Did we keep the receipt for this thing? Like, Rebecca, this is your side of the family. This must be some, like, genetic thing. My side is full of good walkers. (laughs) No. No, man, the moment they took that first step, we exploded like, yeah, you did it. We're taking videos and we're sending them to the grandparents because our kid is, like, clearly the most talented and intelligent and best walking kid that God ever made, right? Because he took one step toward me. So if you hear nothing else today, please hear this. That the heart of your father in heaven is just for you to take one step toward him. Because he loves you. And here's how I know. He proved it. We come to this moment every week and we take this little piece of bread that reminds us of the body of Jesus that was nailed to the cross and we receive this little bit of juice that reminds us of the blood of Jesus that poured from his side. And you know, you and I, we were unfaithful to this covenant. We didn't keep up our end of the deal. But God didn't ditch us. He held up his end of the covenant and he held up ours through sending Jesus to die on our behalf so that now, so that now we could say with confidence today, yes, I am his and he is mine. He loves me no matter what I've done, no matter what you've done, how recently you did it, when you did it, how often you did it. He loves you and you can have him. Jesus says the two becoming one. You can actually be united with Christ because of this. And so in just a moment, we're going to receive this and we're going to celebrate what God has done for you together. But as we do, I just want to I would be remiss not to give you a challenge. I mean, if you're here today and your marriage is good and you're in a good spot or you're not married and maybe this was not like directly relevant to your life, can I still give you a challenge? Will you pray for the marriages in this place? Because it feels like the enemy's been attacking, attacking them with a the, with the unique kind of intensity this year. Would you pray for the marriages in this church? And if you're here today and you're like, man, we need an oil change or like, man, we need an overhaul. Do not leave this moment without getting the help you need. The prayer team's gonna be gathered around the edges of the room with their green lanyards like they always are. You can always go online to the website and get help. But we're gonna do one other thing this week. Riley mentioned those programs that we got when you walk in and a little tear-off prayer card. And listen, if you need help, would you write that on there? And then there's giving boxes mounted throughout the building. There's two in the walls out there, one in that hallway, one mounted out beside the office, one mounted in the wall out by the treehouse. Would you drop those in there if you just need to say, hey, I need some help? We need a tune-up. And for this week only, every one of those prayer cards that gets submitted this week is going just to me. Nobody else is gonna see it. You don't have to worry about who's gonna see your dirt. But if you trust me, those are gonna hit my desk tomorrow morning and we'll get you the help you need, okay? Don't leave today without doing it. Let's receive this grace together from God our Father. I'm gonna give you just a moment to receive this piece of bread to remind you of the body of Jesus that he sent for you. And then I'll pray and we'll receive the cup together. Father and our God, we praise you. What a good gift this is to get to receive this grace. So Father, pour out your grace on this room even now. We thank you that your love is always faithful, that you have never let us down. You will never let us down. You're never gonna abandon us. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God, and we thank you for this love that you have poured out. So strengthen the marriages in this place and pour out your grace to cover over all our failures yet again because we need you again today, Lord. in the name of your son, Jesus, that all God's people said, amen. This is the blood of Christ. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.